Good evening. Amen. It's good to be back again with you all here at Chateau Hills. I'm excited to be able to share the things that we have done together this year. When you think about the third world in those countries due to lack of rainfall, famine, drought, military actions in many cases, People suffer from a scarcity of food. In Africa, there are some 257 million families that are chronically hungry. Access to basic sanitation and clean water is a huge deal with somewhere between 20 and 30% of the people uh, being hungry and over 50% of the population suffering without clean water. Diseases like malaria and uh, diarrhea kill 115 Africans every hour. They live very simple lives, and on top of that, disasters like earthquakes, mudslides, and floods strike devastating communities. It's a very difficult way to live. In the midst of all that, you have faithful men of God, gospel preachers like Sulat. Sulat preaches for the Lord's Church in Kalealea, Uganda. And every Lord's Day, he preaches for the church there. And then he gets on his bicycle and rides for about two hours uh, to reach a, another village, the name of which starts with a B. <laughs> and there he has been invited to come and study with a group of people who are not Christians, but they want to know the truth. And so he goes there and he teaches them, and they are learning, and they are getting very close to becoming Christians. And it is not infrequent for me to see comments by Sulat that we have been in uh, this training center here or that village over there. We've been holding a gospel campaign and I have been now two days without food, but people are responding and souls are being saved. And for a man like Sulat, it is one thing for him to sacrifice and for him to go hungry while he is serving our Lord. Those are the sacrifices that he is willing to make. But it is quite another thing that while he's doing that, he does so with the knowledge that his wife and two children are at home also going hungry. And that is why three out of every four men that we train to preach the gospel in those third world countries, after about two years quit. They go do something where they can feed their families. And what we are doing with the MANA Project is not the only solution to this problem, brothers and sisters, but I believe that it is a very good one. There are a lot of great mission works, a lot of great things going on. I'm so encouraged to see the other works that you guys have been, been supporting, great things going on, men being trained to preach the gospel and, and missionaries being sent out. Along with that, we need to be equipping our brethren in these difficult places to be able not to just to survive but to thrive and to flourish and the model that we're following is one that is biblical in Acts chapter 20 beginning about verse 31 Paul says I commend you therefore to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified that it is our God and it is the grace that is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ that, number one, is able to save us, to give us an inheritance among those that are saved. It's about sharing the gospel of Christ. 
But number two, it is our God and his word which is able to build us up, to strengthen us, and to encourage us and to prepare us for those difficulties. And he goes on, he says, I have coveted no man's gold or silver or apparel, but you yourselves know how that these hands have ministered to my necessities. And you go back a couple chapters to Acts chapter 18, when we see Paul arriving in Corinth, he spends time with Aquila and Priscilla. Why? Well, because they were of the same craft. They were both tent makers. And so Paul there labored making tents to provide for his own necessities, to support himself. And so often we hear of a bivocational preacher, somebody who preaches but also works uh, in the secular workforce to provide for themselves and their family. We call them tent makers. But Paul goes on, he says, these hands are provided for my necessities and for them that were with me. And so as we go through the book of Acts and we see that, that Luke and, and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy were traveling with Paul, Paul was supporting them as well with his tent making. And it goes on, he says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. Well, the weak, those are the ones that we read about in James chapter 1, the widows and the orphans. And what a, what a simple concept that by working with his hands, Paul was able to do the work of sharing the gospel, was able to help those who he was working with and support them, but also able then to do benevolent work and help widows and orphans. And he says, finally, at the end of verse 35, and you ought to remember the words of our Lord, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Brethren, probably this week, if you haven't finished making casseroles out of it, you're getting ready to throw out leftover turkey from Thanksgiving. <laughs> now, we just celebrated a, a feast where we gather with people we love, also our family. <laughs> And we think about the many ways that our God has blessed us, and we thank Him. And indeed, we are truly blessed in this nation. And with those blessings, we are able to send funds and support to, to train preachers and to support missionaries and to build church buildings and to do great things. But in so doing, have you considered that in a way we are keeping the best blessing for ourselves because our Lord said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if our brethren in these third world countries were able to have the blessing that we have if they were able to give rather than to receive. And so to that end in everything that we talk about this evening I want you to think about the fact that the main thing needs to be the main thing. The Great Commission needs to be our focus, sharing the life-saving message, the soul-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what's able to build us up and give us an inheritance among those that are sanctified. So we need to ask, how does this help that? And so at the Manor Project, we've got three preaching schools. And with our preaching schools, we've got uh, two main focuses. We have an academic curriculum that focuses on teaching these guys to know the book, to know the Bible. It also has a heavy focus on evangelism, 
on church growth, on developing leaders, men who can serve as elders and, and deacons and oversee that work and, and do that work there, and also on planting new churches, going into uh, villages and places where the gospel has not been and, and planting congregations. Next month, uh, some of our graduates are going to go out. There's two of them who are going to be going into a, a district of Uganda where they are from. And they came into contact with the gospel through correspondence with American churches. Great work going on. But in their district, an area about the size of a county here in Oklahoma, there is no Church of Christ in the entire district. And these two men are going to go and plant a congregation there. And they're going to be able to support themselves in that congregation by farming their fields. And so that's the other side of our curriculum is we teach these guys agriculture. And it's a heavy emphasis on being self-sufficient. And, and we work on just improving the local methods. And we don't take these guys, we don't ship them a John Deere tractor and say, here you go, use this. And if it breaks down, best of luck finding parts. You know, they have a hoe and a rake, so that's what we use. But we're teaching them to do long-term planning. The average landholder in Africa has about 1.8 acres. It's not a lot of land, but if it's carefully managed, it's enough to, well, to do what Paul did, to provide for them and their family and for those that are with them and to even to do some benevolent work. And so we're teaching them to manage that land carefully and, and plan that farm for the long term. And we're teaching them financial responsibility because one of the things that we've noticed, one of the big cash crops in Uganda is vanilla. Vanilla takes three years to produce a crop. And so what you have, these guys plant vanilla, and for three years they have nothing. They are destitute. And in year three, that vanilla crop comes in, and they hit pay dirt. And they've got money for three or four months. And then they're broke again. And so teaching these guys how to manage those funds and those resources and to stretch it out, so that they have what they need all the way until the next harvest. And also teaching them a work ethic to be pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps, if you will, and, and providing for their own necessities, working with their hands. And so at these three preaching schools, the first and oldest of these schools is the Renzoi School of Preaching in southwestern Uganda. It was built in 2015. Since that time, we have graduated one group of students, and these students have all gone out and they are all still faithfully teaching and preaching God's Word and supporting themselves by farming as they do. Matter of fact, in May when we were there in Uganda, we were able to go to Bonobo District. That was another district where there had been no congregation of the Lord's Church. But two of these guys, without telling anybody, they went on their bicycles and on their own dime traveled to Bonobo District and planted a congregation. They were buying their own meals and paying their own way and going over there. And when we were there, there were over 30 souls in that new congregation these guys had planted. Our second class of students graduates in January, January 16th. And these guys are all going out and going to be uh, supporting themselves and taking the gospel to these places. Uh, there's solar electricity to provide uh, light and a little bit of power to charge different things. Uh, there's rainwater catchment so that they've got water to drink and to, to water the fields and the crops. And the budget for that school right now is about $1,900 a month. That's a lot higher than we'd like, but to run an entire preaching school, that's not bad. And uh, the main crop right there is 
vanilla. And we have been growing food crops. We've been growing corn and uh, okra and squash and beans and, and, and these food crops there. But it was actually the local brethren there that we've been training that they took the initiative. They said, hey, we can grow vanilla here. So they've added vanilla to the school farm. It's going to be about another year and a half to two years before we see a crop from that. But when that crop comes in, that's going to radically change things for that school. Very excited about that. And uh, that school has the capability of housing about 20 students. And <clears throat> that right there is the current faculty and, and student body uh, that, that you know, are finishing up their term now. The second school, the Modalay School of Preaching, is in northwest Cameroon. If you've seen anything in the news about Cameroon, there's a, uh, a revolution, a rebellion, a civil war going on, depending on who you're asking, what it is. And Modalay is in the heart of that conflict. Uh, the Lord's Church there is flourishing in that difficult environment. It is not a safe place for us to be. <laughs> but they are there, and they are working. In April, the first class of students graduated. We have six students. They've all graduated. They are all working, teaching, and preaching the gospel, and they are all supporting themselves with the farming that we taught them to do. The budget for that school is about 500 bucks a month. That's, again, for an entire preaching school. That's all the faculty. That's all the students. That's everything, 500 bucks a month. Uh, but since those students graduated in April, there have been no students there. We've had the faculty focus on growing the farm, increasing the crop production. The main crop there is bananas. Uh, they've also added uh, coffee as a cash crop there to kind of help uh, with some of the expenses of the school. And one of the things they did this summer is they built a fish trap. Uh, they're right next to the Coomba River, which is currently in flood stage. And within the next couple of weeks, they expect that river to return to normal levels. When they do, they'll be able to drop that fish trap in and, well, trap fish <laughs> that they can have meat to eat and uh, to sell at the market. And that's really going to go a long ways to help them. And we're on track right now, I believe, when this harvest comes in late December, early January, for that school to be fully self-supported. And when that happens, we'll be taking in new students probably in February. And then our newest school, the Talawanda School of Preaching, is in Talawanda, Tanzania. And you may remember, uh, if you hear people going to Tanzania, generally they're going to Chamala or to the Andrew Connolly School of Preaching in Arusha. If you think of Tanzania like a big right triangle, uh, Arusha's up here in the north, Chamala's over here in the west. Uh, Talawanda is at the apex of that triangle, about 10 to 12 hours from either of those places. It's near the coast in an area that is controlled by Muslims. When we first got to Talawanda, there was no church there. So we did a gospel campaign, and we planted a congregation with 20 initial baptisms. Most of the students that are currently at that school were converts from Islam. And matter of fact, just uh, last week, uh, Maurice, the, the director of the school, was invited to go and study with a group of Muslims in a uh, nearby city. And he went there, and there is now a new congregation that's been planted as a result of that study. Several Muslims have been converted to Christianity. And that school... Uh, again, it's got uh, solar electricity. There's actually water there at the school. There was a municipal water line run by. We were able to tap into that and bring water all the way up to the kitchen. The cooks were so excited about that. Before that, uh, they were taking jerry cans about five kilometers into town and hauling water uh, back to the school. It was the only way they could get water. Now they've got a water line, 
And with some of the profit from the crops they sell, they're paying their own water bill. And uh, the main crop there is corn. And uh, we are on track right now within the next uh, 10 months or so for that school to be fully self-supported. Each student has their own garden plot that we started in September. And the students are eating some of the crops from their garden. And also, they're able to take their crops into town and sell those at market, that's the support that the students receive. They, they get a garden plot and they get a hoe. And if they want spending money, they sell their crops. <coughs> and uh, that's, that school right now can house 10 students and their families. It's one of the things I'm really excited about that we've done there is we've built bungalows so that the, when the married students come, their families come with them. And uh, we've got a wives program. We've got a two classes every quarter that the wives are required to attend with their husbands. And so they are also being fed spiritually and being able to learn and to grow. And this is all about these guys. You can see particularly the guy there in the middle, his dress, he is from the uh, Maasai tribe. The Maasai f fancy themselves as master herdsmen. Uh, if there is a cow or a goat in the area that they like, it belongs to Maasai. It doesn't matter who bought that cow, it's their cow. And consequently, uh, we are right now experimenting with the goat project at Talawanda. Uh, we're buying very young kid goats and keeping them pinned up, keeping them close at hand, uh, and feeding them out for about six months and then selling them back at market with the hope is that they won't be there long enough for the Messiah to come find them and take them. But this makes a difference. Because, you know, at each school we've got a farm. Uh, they're growing food crops and they've got the rabbits there. Of course, the rabbits is the superfood of the third world. Multiply like rabbits. Make a lot of meat. And those things also produce a lot of fertilizer for the fields. We've got goats at each school. Those are the goats there at Renzori. We have now 29 goats. We started four years ago with two goats, Adam and Eve. <laughs> And uh, so, so the goats have been uh, coming along very nicely. We're, we're selling some of those goats and eating some of them, also milking some of those goats. So how do all of these animals and crops and things help the Great Commission? To make a difference, like there at Talawanda, every Lord's Day after worship, from the fields there at the school and from the animals, uh, we bring into town and we host a meal. And we invite the entire village as welcome to come and to eat. And so children come. That may be the meal that they get that week. And they come. And Muslims and, and tribesmen come. And, you know, the, the Muslim imams tell them, don't, don't listen to the Christians. Don't spend time with them. Don't, don't, don't do anything with them. But you know what? We're providing them a meal. <laughs> and so they come. And when they're polishing off one of our chickens... They ask questions about Jesus Christ, and they learn, and they hear the gospel, and they see that we care, and now they care what we know. And then, again, we have a heavy focus on evangelism. Every weekend at all three of our schools, the faculty and the students all go out on gospel campaigns. And the only problem we have is we have more requests for campaigns than we have time to get, the, to get to. And just this last week in Famba in Cameroon, uh, Eddie Paul there was going and uh, having a Bible study with a group of Muslims that invited him. And there's been a new congregation of the Lord's Church established in Famba. 
in uh, Uganda. Uh, there have, have been, has been two new congregations established, one in the south and one north of, of the school there as a result of those gospel campaigns. And in Talawanda, there was the Muslim congregation, that larger city that I mentioned. There was also in the city of Morogoro. While we were there in September, there were two Assemblies of God preachers who uh, wanted us to come and to study with them. They wanted to learn. And so we talked to them about biblical authority. And we talked to them about the unity and the identity of Christ and His church. And they had a lot of great questions. We left them in the hands of uh, one of our instructors and some of the faithful brethren there, Morogoro, and they've continued to go and to teach. And now there have been, uh, since that study, over 20 baptisms. And there are still about a dozen more studies still ongoing, and there is a new congregation, the Lord's Church, there in Morogoro. And we also help other mission works. At the Chamala Mission, I mentioned this is probably the biggest mission work we have in the Lord's Church. There's a preaching school there. There's an elementary school and a high school, both of which the primary text is the Bible. Uh, everybody around, even the Muslims, send their school children there because that's the best school. There's a hospital there. There's 150 babies born there every week, not to mention the illnesses and the injuries that are treated, the operations that are performed, the doctors going out into the village, and the missionaries that are there. All of that translates into about 700 mouths to feed. And so we've been asked to come and to manage their farm. And so there's Ezekiel. We trained Ezekiel uh, at the Manor Project, and he is now the farm manager at Chamala. And we've enacted a very aggressive program and have brought it a long way. We're not feeding all 700 of those mouths, but we're coming very, very close. Uh, we've increased their crop yield uh, considerably, and we've doubled down on pigs. Uh, just this last month, we had 27 pigs born. That is a lot of bacon. And by the way, they didn't know about bacon. We had to teach them how to cut and to cure bacon. You talk about improving somebody's life. <laughs> but one of the things that I'm excited about there at Chimala is we're able to use that as a training center because we, we get requests from preaching schools in, in Liberia and Nigeria and South Africa and these other places. They have the same problem. We're training preachers, but they can't eat, so they don't preach. We need to teach some agriculture. And so we're able to tell them, okay, you come to Chamala and you see what we're doing here. Spend some time here. We'll feed you while you're here. We'll take care of you while you're here. And we'll teach you how to do this. And then you can take this back to your preaching schools. And the reason why we bring them to Chamala is so that they can open their eyes. You know, we're, we're creatures of, of habit. You know, we always sit in the same pew. We always park in the same spot. We always watch the same shows. We do the same thing. We don't like change. They're the same way over there. You know, we farm this way because this is the way we've always farmed, and we just don't, don't change. And so to bring them and to show them we're not changing it just for the sake of changing it, we're changing it because it works. And for them to see what's possible and to change the way that they think. And so we're able to use that as a training center to help other mission works as well. There's Ezekiel with a bountiful harvest of yellow squash and, and there was already yellow squash growing there but they didn't know the gourds were good to eat they thought they were poisonous and so they would harvest the leaves and make a salad Do you ever grow yellow squash in your garden you look at those fuzzy hairy leaves and think boy I'd like to eat that you know, so we taught them no 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 the squash is good too especially if you add a little butter and salt then you've really got something <laughs> but uh, they were not 
too sure. They had to sit back and watch and see if anything happened to us when we ate it. But now they know the squash is good to eat, and they are enjoying it. They're also growing tomatoes there. And uh, again, with the tomatoes, they've got all the tomatoes they can eat, and the tomatoes they can't eat, they take into market and they sell. And with those proceeds, they're able to buy clothes and, and other things that they need. We've got tilapia ponds there at the school. And uh, of course, that tilapia, great source of protein, fish. Uh, they can eat those. They can sell at the market. One of those ponds now has uh, catfish in it. Uh, so we've been teaching them about fried catfish. But what's great about these ponds, not only does it provide fish, well, every now and then they dredge the bottom of that pond, clean that pond out, and guess what? There's a lot of fertilizer down there they can put on the fields. And so everything kind of works together and helps itself out. When we were there at Talawanda in September, the students, they came to us with a request. They said, we want more variety in our diet. And I could understand that because they eat rice, corn, beans. That's it. And so we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's two acres. And we went out there with them and plowed up, and by plow I mean hoe, two acres. And we brought a big variety of seeds. And we said, here's your variety. You plant what you want to eat in this garden. And this is going to be for the cooks. And the cooks, whatever you plant here, the cooks will harvest it, and you will get to eat it. Now, one of the things you have to understand about Africa is they don't season anything. Anything. And so when we went over there, I brought something essential for survival, a big battle of Tabasco sauce. And I shared it with everybody there. Most of them do not like spice, not even a little bit. Especially Maurice. He couldn't stand it. His wife, though, loved it. At every meal, she would ask. And... Uh, we brought some jalapeno seeds. And Maurice said, what is that? I said, well, it's basically what the Tabasco is made of. He said, anybody who plants jalapeno seeds will be expelled. <laughs> His wife planted them. <laughs> now these guys are eating from that garden. And that is improving their morale. It's improving their health. And it's a biblical concept. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. And we're not afraid of trying new things and, and innovating, trying to find different things that work. And so one of the things we're training these guys how to do is raise flies. Ew. <laughs> but here's the thing about these black soldier flies. You take a pile of compost, and if you work that compost, you turn that compost every day, you water that compost every day, in about three or four months, you'll have some rich fertilizer that you can put onto your fields. Those black soldier flies will have that ready for the fields in under a week. Meanwhile, those black soldier flies, when they become full-grown adults, they don't have a mouth. So they're not going to come and land on your food and spread disease. They can't eat it. And so they're sterile. But not only that, they won't allow the common household fly that does spread disease to live. So now you're reducing disease, and you're providing fertilizer for your fields much more quickly and getting rid of your farm waste. And so that's what those guys look like when we harvest the flies. That's right, we harvest the flies. Here's why. It takes 21 laying hens to replace an average African's salary. So you've got 21 chickens. That's great. What are you going to feed them? You can't go down to Tractor Supply and buy a bag of egg-a-day feed. Don't have it. Well, for a laying hen to lay an egg that's worth anything, it needs 20% protein in its diet. Those flies are 46% protein, and the chickens love them. So now, you've gotten rid of disease, 
You've created compost to go in your fields much more quickly. And now you're feeding your chickens that can fully support your family. And the pigs, we feed out the pigs on those things too. Now you're turning your compost into bacon. <laughs> but again, all of this is about the Great Commission. And all of these things help these men of the book because they're there not because they want to get rich. They're there because they care about souls. But they also have families to feed. And with these simple things, they can feed their families and have an abundance that they can use to help the people in their village. And when this is being done, and the villages where we're doing this, the church is getting a reputation. They're the ones that feed everybody. They're the ones that care. Yeah, the Muslims say they're the only way to God, but the, the Church of Christ, they're helping us. And the church is growing by leaps and bounds. It makes a difference in places like Karindi. About 16 months ago now, the Lord's Church in Karindi was started with eight souls. When we were there in May, there's an 8 by 10 room that I've been renting for them. And that room, when we were there, had 34 people packed into it. That church has continued to grow since that time. Friday night, disaster struck. There was a flood and a mudslide, totally destroyed that church building and also the home of the preacher. The preacher was asleep at the time. He got out with the clothes on his back in his life. Everybody's safe in the church. There are other members of that village who have died. And I find it curious that about three weeks ago, a member of the church in South Texas says, I want to buy land for that church so that they can have a place to farm and to provide for the poor in their village. Day after tomorrow, we're going to close on that land. And there's other funds that are being raised to put a building on that land because now they have no place to meet. In the meantime, the Lord's Church there at Corindi is providing food and clothes and tarps to put up temporary shelters for that village. The gospel is going forth. Souls are being shown what it means to be a Christian. While the church has no building, they're helping others. Very soon they'll have a place where they can grow crops, where they can have a continual food pantry. The fellow there in the tan suit, his name is Paul. Paul was a preacher for a denomination known as the Brethren. And Busa, the director of the school there in Uganda, worked with Paul and taught him about the one true church of Jesus Christ, taught him about the gospel and baptized Paul into Christ in his church. That was in April. Since that time, Paul has, has taken us and taken other gospel preachers, local preachers around, and been invited to groups of the brethren denomination to come and to teach them what he learned. And since that time, the last count that I've gotten, there have been nine congregations that the entire group has been baptized into Christ. And one of those groups is the group that I told you about earlier that Sulat rides his bike to. And one of these is in 
Oh, it starts with M. The village just left me. Um, but it's up in the mountains. Very difficult to reach. You can ride the motorcycle only up so far, then the bike can't go, and you walk about another 1,500 feet of elevation change. And every weekend, there's gospel preachers going up there to help this new congregation of the Lord's Church to learn and to grow. And when they converted, the, the denominational leaders, they said, oh, you, you don't want to be part of us? That's fine, but we own that building. You're out. And so they began going out and meeting under a tree in the village square. And everybody else in the village is hearing what's being taught, and they're coming, and they're learning, and that church is growing. And they're growing crops on the sides of the mountain and feeding themselves and feeding the poor and supporting themselves. And they say, we don't have a building, but that's okay. We have the truth. And these men are able to do that because they can support themselves. Brothers and sisters, these are things that you all have fellowship in. You all have a part in that because of your support. Thank you. So through the end of the year, I'm out raising funds to help this work to continue through 2020. In January, I mentioned in Uganda, our students are graduating. I fly out on the 12th, and uh, we will be there for graduation and send those students out and help them to get established in their home farms. And then we will be there for the new intake of students uh, to get them oriented and, and get them started and off on the ground running, planning to go back several more times to both uh, Uganda and Talawanda, Tanzania, work with those schools and those congregations, help them to grow. We want so badly to go to Cameroon. We are praying for a peaceful resolution one way or another for that conflict. In May, when I was in Uganda, I noticed, uh, you know, most of the people there are pretty short. <laughs> and, you know, it was the little things. I stood in front of the, the mirror they had hung for me. I could see everything from here down. And I crawled into bed, and my feet poked out the bottom. And I took those two pictures and posted them and talked about the problems of visiting a country. Everybody's short. And Eddie Paul from Cameroon, he commented, he said, Brother Justin, everybody in Cameroon is quite tall. You should come and visit us here. He craves the fellowship and the encouragement that comes with that. We need to be praying for those brethren. Also, one of the things I'm excited about, we're, we're wanting to make plans at the beginning of 2021 uh, to travel with my entire family and spend a couple of months there at that farm, uh, learning ourselves and working with Ezekiel and helping that work to grow and, and gathering things that we can take to these other places. And we're also working on producing books and videos uh, that can be taken out into these different places. Every time I go, I take a suitcase full of books for the students, and that's great. But, you know, there's only so many books I can get into a suitcase. So I'm working on finding printers locally in those countries so I can produce the books there and produce more of them. Uh, also working on trying to get materials in their native languages. Of course, all of that takes money. And uh, we're working on uh, one of the things that I'm excited about, setting up basically a preaching school in a box where they've got a couple of military-grade hard drives with all of our materials, both for Bible and for agriculture, on there with videos that we've shot there at Chamala, training them how to do those things and a little projector that's battery powered and a solar panel to run the whole thing. And these guys then can take these back to their villages, places that we cannot go, and help the word to spread even further. And it builds hope in men like Daniel. Daniel's one of our students that's about to graduate. He's a native of Congo. And he's been one of the students chiefly in charge of our goat herd there. There he is with Bully Boy. Bully Boy is his favorite goat. He says that's his friend. 
And when he goes home, he wants to raise goats. That's how he's going to support his family. He says, Brother Justin, come and visit us in Congo. I said, Daniel and Busa says it's not safe. He says, no, 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 it's very safe. When you land the government, they will give you a soldier with a gun. And he will go with you everywhere you go. I'm like, Daniel, if the government thinks I need a soldier with a gun, I'm pretty sure they aren't paying him enough. I can't go to Congo, but he can. And we're excited to be able to be a part of that work. Things that you can do, if you have not already done so, please visit our website, manafarm.org, and subscribe to our email list. We send out an email every week. I, I try to keep it very short uh, with one thing, uh, things that are going on, things you can be praying for, things that are exciting and encouraging. If you're on social media, find us on Facebook. Like and follow us on Facebook so that you'll see the posts as they come up. And there's Maurice with last year's harvest of corn, by the way. Happy guy. And we are needing uh, continued support to keep this work going. Looking for eight more supporters uh, at uh, $5,000 a piece that will fully fund all the work that we have planned for 2020 and in the beginning of 2021. I am under the elders of the Lord's Church in Natalia, Texas. And once again, it did say thank you for your help above there, <laughs> not just help. <laughs> we did have a font issue. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, once again, thank you for your help, for your prayers, for your encouragement for your support and your fellowship in this work. All of these things, you have fruit in this. this. These are the things that we have done together. I'm excited about what we'll be able to do going forward. And once again, this is all about the Great Commission. It's about getting souls into Christ. Because in Christ is where we find salvation, 2 Timothy 2.10. It's where we find the love of God, Romans 8.38. It's where we find all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1.3. It's where we find grace, 2 Timothy 2.1. And the list goes on and on. And if you're not in Christ, you don't have a part of those things. And the world that we're taking the Great Commission to begins right here. Maybe you're here tonight and you have not yet been baptized into Christ. What are you waiting for? You can be a part of the only thing in this world that's going to last into eternity, the kingdom of God. Maybe as a Christian, you feel that there's, there's something lacking. Maybe it's something you've said or done that you shouldn't have, something you failed to say or do that you should. Maybe you just need prayers for strength, for wisdom, for encouragement. That's what we're here for. We all get discouraged sometimes. Maybe it's something or somebody else that you want prayers for. Let the family of God pray with you and for you. And together, let us bring glory to our King. If in any way this evening you are subject to the Lord's invitation, please don't put it off, but let it be known. While together we stand 